morning, everyone. Good to see you on a beautiful Sunday morning. Glad that you're here to worship with us today. Uh, this is a vacation week for a lot of people. It's the midwinter school break. It's hard to believe that winter is half over. It's sort of the, the winter that wasn't, and I'm a guy who likes snow. Uh, maybe colder, snowier days are ahead, but most folks are already kind of looking forward to an early spring. And I, I even heard robins singing this week, so maybe it's, it's coming. I hope it's a good sign. But although the weather's been pretty easy to deal with, I, I still sense that there are a lot of people struggling in, in other areas of life. Coming off the series on courage that finished up last week, it just seems like everybody I talk to has, has just a lot going on right now. Uh, the pressures of life are, are really kind of weighing people down. Worries about home and family and finances, students anxious about grades or, or getting into college, Folks facing health challenges, relationship, drug, alcohol issues, you name it. And it's more than just the the midwinter blahs. Uh, We've got a lot of depleted disciples. And you name it, there's a lot going on. It feels like our emotional and our spiritual resources are just getting spread kind of thin. Energy, enthusiasm, optimism, they are in short supply right now as our wholeness and rest and peace. I was cleaning up stuff in my yard this week, and I came across this uh, football. My dog, dog got a hold of it uh, in the fall, and it kind of turned it into his favorite chew toy. I mean, it is chewed up, it is flattened, it is punctured. I mean, a football is designed to be thrown. You know, in the hands of a skilled passer, uh, this football could have gone 40, 50, 60 yards even. I mean, how far do you think I could throw it now? Uh, not very far. It's still a football, though, right? I mean, on the outside, it's still got all the, it's chewed up just a little bit, but it's, it's still exactly the same as a new one. A few teeth marks, I guess. But what's different about it? Well, it's because it's empty on the inside. And it's what's on the inside that really counts. Air on the inside is what gives it shape and function. It's what allows it to do what it was designed to do. Without air, it's just this flat tube of of leather and rubber. It can't do what it was designed to do. Uh, It makes a good dog toy, but it can't soar. It can't go very far without what needs to be inside. So if you're feeling more like a chew toy this morning, maybe it's time to ask yourself, how far can I go without God? How far can I go without really looking at what's going on on the inside? Why is it that my life feels out of shape or or punctured or flattened? Where does my faith in God, my relationship with Christ enter into, you know, the anxieties and the pressures that I feel I'm under, the worries that I carry? You see, the Bible teaches that once we give ourselves to Christ in faith, Jesus actually lives within us through the indwelling presence of his Holy Spirit. We are to be Holy Spirit-filled people. And the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit gives us God's resources for facing this complex world that we live in. Faith in Christ is more than just you know, agreeing with some ancient doctrines or, or having some moral code or ethics in this life. It's a life-giving connection with our Creator that actually equips us for life. Christ's presence in us through the Holy Spirit is what gives us shape and function as His followers. It's what allows us to soar 
even if we feel a little chewed up on the outside. But the awareness of God's presence, our yielding to his power, that can vary. It's something that we have influence in the, over. In the New Testament, there's a lot of talk about learning to walk in the Spirit or live in the Spirit. The, the daily experience of Christ's presence in us through that, through that Spirit involves our choices and, and our decisions and our actions. It's sort of like the handle on a faucet or a throttle on an engine. We are involved in opening and closing the flow of God's Spirit into our lives. And chances are, if we're feeling overwhelmed and under-resourced, then that may mean that we in some way are restricting or resisting the flow of God's power and presence into our lives. Here's how it works. The gospel, the good news about Jesus, is all about grace. Grace means you cannot fix yourself. Something's got to happen to you on the inside. Otherwise, when pressures come, you'll go flat as a pancake. We need grace for, the, for life. And grace begins to enter our hearts when we, we admit that we are apart from Christ. We are empty. We are broken. We are trying to be self-reliant. And that only works for a while. God's grace is not about what you do. It's not about earning God's favor or trying really hard to be good enough. It's not about our doing. It's about our, our being. Grace begins when we recognize that in our natural state, we are separated from God. That's what the Bible calls sin, this, this gulf, this separation between us and God. That's our default mode. And the Bible teaches our world was created good, but our good world was corrupted by rebellion. And like a computer virus, that rebellion against God has spread through our entire being. And until we come to grips with how deeply that infection has tainted us, we can never really experience the freedom that Christ has to offer, the release and the power of Christ's forgiveness. As someone once said, I did not become a sinner by sinning. I sin because I am a sinner. It's about being. You cannot really own Christ's forgiveness without first owning up to your own sin. If you have no need for your sin to be forgiven, you don't need a Savior. The two go together. Grace begins when we own up to our, our level of sinfulness. There's a story about two brothers in a small town in Mississippi. They were both just corrupt, evil, nasty, racist men. They were hated by every single person in the town. One of them died, and the other brother couldn't find anybody willing to do the funeral. He went from church to church, and he offered the preacher, preachers $5,000 you know, cash if they'd be willing to do his brother's uh, memorial service, but his only stipulation was that in the eulogy, he had to say that his brother was a saint. Well, he went to the Baptists, and the Baptist minister threw him out. He went to the Methodists, went to the Lutherans. They all threw him out. He went to the Presbyterian pastor who kind of stroked his chin and said, $5,000, sure, I'll do that. Well, the news spread around town. They couldn't believe that this pastor was going to, to do this guy's funeral and say that he was a saint. They couldn't believe he was caving in. So everybody in town showed up to the funeral to hear what he would say. So the pastor started his eulogy and said, This man 
was an evil reprobate, a scoundrel, a good-for-nothing degenerate who deserves the fires of hell, but compared to his brother, he was a saint. (laughs) Compared to his brother. Compared to others. That's how we judge ourselves. That's how we set our agendas for life. That's how we determine what's important in life, what's worth stressing over, what's worth our time and our money and our energy We compare with others, and that's how we determine how we're doing. Determines our self-worth, how we compare with others. It's how we decide what success is, what happiness is supposed to look like. We've got a picture in our heads of what life is supposed to look like or, or feel like, and that picture is usually created out of these thousands of little comparisons we make with other people all day long. And when reality doesn't kind of mesh with that mental image of what life should be, well, then that's when the stress kicks in. That's when we run ragged trying to fix it, trying to make our reality fit this mental image of what we think a a perfect family should be, what we think a, a perfect job should be, what we think a perfect college choice should be, what we think a perfect relationship should be. And when we can't, that's when our bubbles burst. Someone described it to me this way. He said, I keep trying to come up for air, but it seems like they keep filling the pool. If we don't recognize that our perceptions of what success is, of what love is, of what life is all about, are also tainted by sin. If we just give a a nod to God each day and then go out and pursue our own agendas without yielding and surrendering all that stuff in our heads to Him, then we won't experience his guidance, his power, or his peace. Why would we? If we're blocking his control over our thoughts and our desires, why would we then expect his help and healing? It doesn't make sense. God won't bless what goes against his will. But we're too stubborn, too distracted, too too full of pride to really listen to what he might really want to say to us about ourselves. Better just to stay busy. And to us, Jesus says what he said to his depleted disciples in his own day, Matthew eleven twenty five. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. And then He said this, Come to Me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take My yoke upon you and learn from Me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus has again been in conflict with the religious leaders of his day who saw faith in God as primarily in terms of obedience and obligation. And their brand of religion was really like a heavy weight that had people that people had to carry on their shoulders. And, and Jesus wanted to release people from that misunderstanding of what it means to have a relationship with God. He starts by saying that the only ones who are going to understand what he's talking about, the only ones who are going to get it, are those who come to God like little children. And literally the word he uses here that's translated as as children literally means infants. It means babies, not toddlers, not even preschool age, but helpless babies. 
In Jesus' day, that word was applied to anybody who was kind of in over their head. It was kind of a way of describing a person who was in a helpless situation. Anybody who was unable to dig themselves out, that word was used to describe their life. I talked to a woman recently who said, I feel like a minnow in a tsunami. Helpless, and you know it. Overwhelmed, and you know it. Sinful, and you know it. To these people, the message of Jesus begins to make sense. Not to the ones who think they've got it all together. Not to those who are blocked from experiencing God's grace and peace because of their intellectual or their their spiritual pride. Their pride won't let them accept this dramatic revolutionary statement that Jesus makes next. He says, all things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Folks, this is the most controversial thing Jesus ever said. He claims to be the only unique revealer of the true nature of God. Totally exclusive. He alone can reveal the true God to humanity. He said something similar in John 14, verse 9, when he said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And this is really the center of the Orthodox Christian faith. Jesus is saying, if you want to know God, if you want to see what God is like, if you want to understand the will of God, the nature of God, the character of God, the heart of God, if you want to see what God really looks like, look at me. If someone says, well, isn't that being narrow-minded? You would have to say, yes, absolutely. Because in this instance, Jesus is completely narrow-minded completely focused like a laser, completely exclusive of all other options. If you don't accept this, he can't really help you. You see, Jesus is explaining his authority over everything, where his power to help comes from. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are of one being, one essence. Jesus is the incarnate God, the the in-the-flesh expression of God. The Father gives all things to Christ so that he can pass on forgiveness and grace and peace and power to us. So in other words, you have to know who you're coming to in order to take up the offer that he gives in the next few verses. And this is a stumbling block to many people. They, in a sense, want a Christless Christianity. They want all the benefits the peace, the power, the presence. They want all the benefits of a God relationship without submitting to the authority and the control and the person of Jesus Christ. And too often on a practical level, let's be honest, we do the same thing. We say and we sing about how much we love Jesus. But are we really yielding to his spirit on a day-by-day basis? That's in the back of our minds somewhere, but it's not how we really live. So that's our challenge, living what we say we believe about Jesus. That is what he says to us, to people who are desperate, to all you who are exhausted. He says, come to me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. What's a burden? Something heavy that we carry with us. Excess weight. Physical burdens make us physically weary, but you can put them down 
and after a while, you feel relieved. Jesus is talking about burdens that we carry on the inside that weigh us down. Come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. Give all the burdens and the torments to Christ, and he will give us his peace, and it's an exchange of of one for the other. Sometimes it may seem easier just to carry the burdens we already have, rather to accept what Christ's burdens might be, because we're not really sure what that means. We're not sure what a yoke is and, and why Jesus wants to carry one of his. Well, in Jesus' day, the most common animal used by farmers was an ox to plow fields or pull carts. A a yoke was the wooden harness that went over the ox head and it was attached to the plow or to the cart. And Jesus is saying that his yoke is easy. That doesn't mean that it's just a piece of cake. It doesn't mean it's a walk in the park. The word easy literally means well-fitting. The custom was that when a farmer bought an ox, the first thing he did was he, he measured the ox's head and its shoulders. And he brought those measurements to a carpenter who would custom make a yoke for that particular ox so that it fit the oaks properly and the farmer could get the best benefit out of the labor of the ox so that it could use its full strength and not be injured in some way by an ill-fitting yoke. The carpenter roughed it out. The farmer tried it on the ox, took it back, The carpenter adjusted it and finished it. As a carpenter, Jesus would have made yokes for many farmers. The yoke was tailor-made for the ox. It fit perfectly, and that's why it was easy. What Jesus wants for your life is custom-made for you. His will for your life is measured to fit you perfectly. Customized just for you and you alone, not to be compared with anyone else. Your yoke is yours. What God has for you fits your life, your needs, your abilities, your strengths. What God has for your life fits you. That doesn't mean that life will be easy or what comes your way will be easy. It means what comes your way, you can handle it when you lean on Him. Because he's the one who has laid it on your shoulders in love. His yoke isn't lighter because he demands less out of your life. But because he bears the load with you like like two oxen harnessed together. And so if you're straining under your load, it might be because you're taking on burdens that don't really belong to you. They are ill-fitting. And not the burdens that Christ wants you to be carrying. We put things on our own shoulders and they rub and they chafe and we carry them and they deplete us emotionally and spiritually. They they weigh us down. And they're not part of God's plan for our lives. We put them on our own shoulders. Christ wants a relationship with us based on grace. Based on a gift of God's unmerited, unearned favor and acceptance. But We don't live a life of grace. We live a life of comparison and burdens that weigh us down. And there are a million of different kinds of burdens that people carry. What are some common ones? You could make your own list. Perfectionism. Fixing things. Trying to fix people. A lot of life's dramas surround that one. Trying to fix other people. The, The burdens of success, whether that means... The stress you feel about you know, getting into the right college because that's somehow going to determine your happiness for the whole rest of your life. Well, it's just not true. There are lots of 
very unhappy people who went to very prestigious colleges. Or success defined by the stuff you have, the kind of car you drive, how many electronic toys you have. Or control issues, that's probably really the underlying thing behind so many of our burdens. Trying to control other people, control our circumstances, control ourselves, or maybe even control God. Well, you can come up with your own list of burdens. But Christ's burden is light compared to the burdens we carry. The things we put on our own shoulders are very, very heavy. So why do we keep picking them up? John Akiff, a Christian writer, wrote in his blog this week, and it's a little long, but I wanted to read it. When I bump into the challenges of my faith, I want a solution to be as simple as deleting a file from my computer. I want to press a button, feel a twinge of completeness, and walk away. But there's a problem that never works in my life. Despite the barriers, steps, and plans I come up with, I keep doing things I don't want to do and not doing the things I want to do, just like Paul said. The truth is, that's what's so frustrating to me about God. I want him to give me a to-do list. I want him to give me some action items, and he keeps refusing. I say, give me a solution, and he says, I gave you a Savior. I say, give me something that will fix me forever, and he says, just walk with me today. I said, I want a present from you that will change me. And he said, I want you in my presence. I want a quick fix. I want actions. I want progress that I can control and monitor. And instead, and in the face of all that, God offers me something incredibly simple. Relationship. Why? Because it's the only thing that will actually lead to the renewal of my heart. Excuse me. All the plans I craft will eventually crumble. All the good intentions I might have will will fall apart. All my willpower and discipline will abandon me in my greatest time of need. But one thing remains steadfast, my relationship with God. It's messy. It's slower than I want. It's not always the shape I'd like it to be because though I know what I want, God is the only one who really knows what I need. And the truth is, if I want my heart renewed... If I want my soul sanctified, if I want to be the new man God's always known I could be, I have to trust in the relationship. I have to return to the relationship. I have to give all to the relationship. It's not that actions don't matter, but where those actions come from matters. The actions that blossom from my relationship with God are completely different from the actions that start in my own heart's desires, to fix things or control things. We are not designed to renew ourselves. What a sense of freedom and release from pressure I felt when I finally realized this. Trying to fix me with me is exhausting. True change, heart change, life change comes only from one place. Your relationship with a God who already commissioned the action that matters most the death of his son on the cross for you and me. So listen again to Jesus' words. This time paraphrased from the message. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Then come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live lightly 
and freely. Let's pray together. Lord, I need to learn that daily. Walking with you, working with you, learning from you, taking your yoke on my shoulders and releasing myself by your grace, Lord, from the things that I pile on my own shoulders, the things that do weigh us down. Lord, if we could turn to you now as we come into maybe a different season and begin it right, Lord, by not comparing our lives, our standards with others, Lord, but simply being in your presence and knowing your grace and knowing your perfect fit for our lives. Help us to lean into that, Lord, and find your strength as we walk. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.